Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I'm here to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter and to share stories of interesting and insightful women who may just inspire you in your current chapter. If you're new to the second chapter, welcome. This season has been my biggest season yet, so thank you so much. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend. They can go to thesecondchapterpodcast.com or search the second chapter wherever they listen to podcasts. As always, thank you. You are the best listeners anyone could ask for. This week, I'm speaking with Miriam Wieskind. Miriam is an old friend whose story I've followed since my Brooklyn days, having known her through a mutual friend and the Brooklyn Triathlon Club. Her change after 35 involves love, loss, giving back, and a lot of pizza. She's the one who told me, give back to others, help people out if you can. So for me, it became the act of kindness of giving somebody a pizza. And I had people where they would lose their jobs or their apartments, and I'd give them a stack of pizza and here's dinner for the next week. You need this little leg up, this little boost of kindness to help you get to a better emotional place. And I just saw how pizza made people happy. Hi, Miriam. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to chat with you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be on the other side of the pond and share this time with you. Yes, definitely. I feel like I need to say it's so sliced to see you. Oh, my God. You're so cheesy. <laughs> Wait, um, hold on. One more. One more. You ready? OH. I oh. <laughs> Here we go. That's the shout out. When you're from the heart of it all, it's always our cat call. Yes. So we are both from the heart of it all. We both have been in the design world. We've both been triathletes. We've both Brooklyn. Lots and lots in common. I want to talk about your pizza life. But first, we're going to go back. Dayton girl moved to New York City on a coin toss. And I do not know this story. <laughs> oh, I should say, this is kind of obvious from the beginning, but we have also known each other for a long time. Yes. Even though we've been separated 12 years by a pond, I think, what, did we first meet in spandex? Absolutely. I can't yeah. imagine that there was any other way as triathletes. Yeah. So, but wait, do either of us still do triathlons? I do. I actually am a coach now, but you're still very active. Oh, yeah. I'm now an ultra runner. I do the 100 mile races. I do stage racing. The next time I'm in Europe, I will come see you. I promise. I'll just run to you. The first time I had pizza in Italy, I literally ran through three countries to eat it. <laughs> but I will say, I do think running a 100 miler is way harder than an Ironman. Oh, sorry. Iron distance triathlon. Yes. I do feel the need, the urge to go back and try doing one of those races again. Having gone through what it is to do a 100-mile race, I feel like I could just, the, the iron distance triathlon, I could bat out of the park. I just, I never liked the swim. I never liked the swim part. See, I really like swimming, but I actually did London Marathon yesterday. And Oh my gosh, congratulations. I've been off social. I haven't really been on a lot of my personal social media because I keep them separate, but I haven't been on my personal social media and see that. So wait, you won the London Marathon yesterday. No, no. I ran the London Marathon yesterday. But you got a medal at the end, right? <laughs> Actually, you know what? They were doing an environmental thing and I said no medal. So I don't even have a medal to prove it. So yeah, there's nothing to disprove that you didn't win it. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I totally won it. <laughs> if you finished, you won. That's my rule. It's funny because I did have a post that said, I think that running a standalone marathon is harder than doing an Ironman because you're just not warmed up in the same way. I don't know. Not at all. 
this is so not what this podcast is meant to be about. So you have to come back when I do a triathlon related okay. podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about all of. All right. So going back into your original question, coin toss. Coin toss. Being from the heart of it all, Dayton, Ohio. I grew up in what I call just a very little bubble. I went to school to at the University of Cincinnati at DAP, but. I had done most of my internships in California, so I had a job offer in San Francisco. And then I got a job offer in New York City. And the problem was the one in New York City didn't actually pay anything. But when I told my parents, I didn't mention that minor detail. So I flipped a coin between San Francisco and New York. New York was heads up. Atlanta heads up. I said, okay. I had a garage sale. The first time my parents ever let us have a garage sale, because I grew up with parents that felt that having a garage sale showed strangers where you live and they would rob you. With my design background, I created the most fabulous signage, which was placed at the exit for Interstate 70. So I was able to draw in so much traffic the first day, I sold everything. And my dad was like, the sign's already out. So I'm like, no problem. Let me go through the house again. Found a whole other day worth of stuff. Because remember, they never had a garage sale. So with the $800, and in 2004, $800 from a garage sale in Dayton, Ohio is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. With the $800, I was able to buy a one-way ticket. I found a room for rent with one of my brothers had a friend who lived in Brooklyn, specifically Park Slope. And he's, yeah, 300 bucks a month. You could have my closet. Awesome. Sounds like a good deal. So I'd never been to New York City, but I knew that that's as a designer, that's where you go to make your dreams come true. So I hopped on that one-way ticket, plane ride out, Landed in, landed at LaGuardia. And I remember I got into a cab. And the only thing I could understand out of that cab driver is that he was upset with me because I, I should say it was one of those like six, 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 six cabs. <laughs> so in New York City back in the day, there were two different types of black car services. There's either 7777 or 6666. I went for the devil. The only thing I could remember is that this, that it was my fault. His chicken parm sandwich was getting cold. And I'm just like, the ride to Brooklyn was crazy. And I was like, oh my God, this is New York City. I'm going to try. <laughs> so I get to my friend's apartment and, or my brother's, I'd never met this person before. So I knew his brother, his brother and my brother knew each other, but I didn't know this guy. So I was like, cool, I'm going to live with this guy, Steven. And literally the room that I rented from him was the size of a closet. Like it was enough for a twin size air mattress. It did have its own closet and it had a window, which what you learn in New York City is that if you have those two amenities in a room, that's a big deal. I was thinking and, that is impressive for 300 and the And light came in. Yeah. So also back then it, it was a cheaper neighborhood. He was on the South Slope. So it was in an area that wasn't as definitely not gentrified yet. I will say the first day, my first full day in New York City, I got on the F train the wrong way. I wound up in Brighton Beach. And all I know is that somebody said something in Russian and told me to go back on the train the other way, which I figured it out. And I ride the F train all the way to 23rd Street where I got off and I promptly went to a no longer in existence Barnes and Noble, bought myself a map and it was this laminated map. I think it was like not for a tourist map. And proceeded to walk all the way down Broadway to Manhattan. I had the best hot dog of my life. I discovered that when it rains on a clear day in New York City in the summer, that's actually air conditioner juice. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And that was my first day in New York City. And then the other funny story I'll say about that, because I this story, it's great. My roommate asked me, he's like, why do you keep buying like all these little mini things of food? And I'm like, you guys don't have grocery stores here. 
I'm like, this grocery store in the corner, it's only like little things of cottage cheese and tuna. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to survive in New York. And I was like freaking out. And he's like, that's not a grocery store. It's a bodega. I'm like, what the hell is a bodega? He's like, a corner store. I'm like, what's that? Oh, convenience store, like a 7-Eleven. That's what we got in Ohio. So he sends me to C-Town and I walk into this grocery store. At that time, that's what it was called. It's no longer called C-Town. And I'm like, oh my God, look at all the variety. And from that point on, I never took anything for granted at the grocery store. <laughs> but I finally stopped eating these little tiny things of cottage <laughs> It costs like but, some ridiculous amount of money compared yeah. to just like going to a regular shop. Yeah, but I didn't have a paying job. I was a designer for Hebe magazine. And then I got a call as soon as I landed for a paid gig. And the very first professional thing I designed in New York City for Working Mother magazine was an illustration of a Lapation room door. And that's how I got my start in New York City. I love it. The stories are just so familiar because I think anyone going as like you say, the heart of it all, Ohio girl going to New York City this is not the podcast about me, but I could probably be like, and then this happened and then this happened and have such similar stories. So I completely get it. Here's another thing I'll touch on about Ohio or just people from Midwest. There are a lot of us in New York. So when people automatically assume that New Yorkers are rude, I'm like, actually, no, because there's so many of us from Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan that land in New York. I say hello to everybody because I'm a Midwesterner. That's how you tell the difference between a New Yorker so a true New Yorker is going to be like, can you walk faster? Get the fuck out of my way. And Midwestern yes. is like, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. And we say it with a Brooklyn accent because we've been here so long. We still retain our hospitality or our politeness that we carry from the Midwest over. New Yorkers are actually very nice. And I, any New Yorker actually takes great pride. If you're lost, we take such great pride in giving you the proper direction and how to cut out all the bullshit and get where you need to go and not get robbed on the way. I absolutely think that's true. And it's funny because being in London, everybody says, oh, New Yorkers are so nice. And I was so confused. I was like, what? Like we have, and I still say we, have a reputation for being so rude in the States. But when you go back from London, the New Yorkers are nice because people in London just really have no time for you. (laughs) I've never been to London. London. You promised me you'd come see me. So you definitely have to come. I have home slices out there. So yeah. Home slice is the best, best pizza here as well. It's, I've heard that it, I never use the B word, but I've heard that it's the most authentic New York style pizza in London. I would definitely say it's one of my favorites by far. I'll just put it that way. I have a buddy called, I have two buddies. One's Doughball Disco and the other is Dough and Behold. They're both based out of London. Oh my gosh. Okay. Then I've got things to do. You said about Ohio or all the Midwestern people in New York being so nice. I feel like that helps to advance you at work. So I know that fairly quickly advanced six-figure salary, all the rest. Yeah. You know what actually helped me most getting to, I would say, the six-figure salary as a creative director? I did a design project for Michael Beirut, who is one of the partners at Pentagram, one of the most famous graphic designers in the world. So getting a recommendation from him opened up so many doors. And I will say, he led me to this place called Laird & Partners, which is a huge ad agency. And what happened at Laird and Partners is that I worked on a campaign for The Gap with Lenny Kravitz and Sarah Jessica Parker. And I say this is one of the most defining moments of my life, not in my pizza life design, is that everyone else is excited to work on this campaign for what it's going to look like in their portfolio. And all I cared about was going up and saying hello to Sarah Jessica Parker and shaking her hand and be like, thank you. I am now one degree from Kevin Bacon. 
except for Jessica Parker, also an Ohio girl. Yes, Cincinnati. Great thing they're born in Ohio. It must be something in the soil. <laughs> exactly. So this is skipping ahead a lot, but I definitely want to talk about your pizza life. Let me put my seatbelt on so I am in my seat as we fast forward through time. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> what inspired you to go out on your own? So what happened was I was a, I think the last job I had where I was a freelance art director was with L'Oreal. And I was told I either needed to take a full-time job with L'Oreal or I would be terminated. And what I knew about working for that company was that if you were salary, you worked very long, hard hours and the compensation wasn't really worth it. And my quality of life would really suffer. So I decided to walk away and um, it was hard to walk away from doing all those Garnier boxes. <laughs> I, I have a lot of experience doing hair color design stuff. But I, you know, and in those days I used a recruiter and they would place you, they always find you a lot of really great work. And the recruiter I was using was like, you're so talented. Why don't you just go get an LLC and go off on your own? And so that's exactly what I did in, it was either 2010 or 2011. I went off on my own, got my LLC, and I was able to pull together a couple of really big clients and rented office space in Dumbo and the rest with history. And I officially established MW which is an LLC, I still do design work even to this day because my heart is just doing creative things. I mean, at the end of the day, what is a graphic designer? I'm sorry. That's what they called us back then. Now it's cool to say we are a designer, our creative director, art director, but our job is essentially to look at visual systems and design that is not working and to be a very high paid executive, um, what is the proper word? Cleaning lady. I'm going to go in and clean all this up mm -hmm. and make it beautiful. So when I get on the New York City subway, I look at bad design. And all I do is think about either it's so bad, it needs a couple of tweaks and it should stay that way. Or how would I clean this up? But yeah, so I went off on my own and I, my specialty was, and still is, brand strategy, marketing, just the full package, full 360. So everything you need going all the way back to the first point. And while you say your heart is in doing creative things, I think we, the definition of creative here gets a lot bigger than brand strategy and everything else, because I think your two other things, we talked about running, we touched on pizza, but running and pizza, they came together. Two great <laughs> things that go great together. Tell me about the New York City pizza run. That is one of my biggest accomplishments in life, aside from touching people with my crust today is it's combining my loves of running and pizza. And so I competed in this crazy race where you would run a loop around Tompkins Square Park, eat a slice, run a loop, eat a slice, run a loop, eat a slice, run a loop, finish, or in my case, continue to eat pizza after that because it was free. At this point, I'd been doing triathlon and I had experience of eating while running because it's a specialty of ours. So I won this race the first year I did it and they gave the male winner tickets to a pizza tour and the female got a pizza stone so i'm like is this a sexist thing like i'm all for a pizza stone but was it like you need to go home and cook while this guy goes off and does a fabulous tour yeah so yeah. i i actually was really upset about it and i said to the i was like first of all there's a pizza tour this is crazy i am a diehard pizza fan i my parents were eating pizza when i was born so i've always been a diehard pizza lover but I wrote the race director and I said, you know, I feel that this is not fair. Like the women should win the same prize. So I came back the following year, won the race a second time. 
And I got the pizza tour tickets, but at the same time, the guy, Scott Wiener, who runs Scott's Pizza Tours, he was looking to bring somebody in New York City on to help him run the tours. He had one other person who had helped him, but she lived in Jersey, but he's like, I'm taking off. I really need help. So I interviewed for that job and it was literally love at first slice. He's very much like a brother to me, but that is, it's winning that race is what enabled me to get into pizza more. And I, and in all fairness, I am a five-time New York City pizza champion. And it was a lot of pressure that I had to retire because I had to get faster and faster. And there was another, it was actually another Brooklyn Tri Club guy, Common. And I won it that year. And I literally finished like 15 seconds behind this guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. This female almost caught the male winner. Like mm-hmm. it was right behind him. But people were like, you can run a six-minute mile and eat a slice of pizza in 20 seconds. And I was like, it's just this God-given talent I have to <laughs> run while eating pizza. It is my greatest gift. Yeah. But I wound up getting a job as a pizza tour guide because I was a, now I am a freelancer. I have my own company, which meant I could free up one day a week and it wound up being Friday. So for almost 10 years, every Friday was the day I went into the city and I do a pizza tour. And I, I take 16 strangers around. And my job was to teach them a complete history and the evolution of pizza, where it starts across the pond. If we really go back to the true origins of pizza, the word pizza was actually pita bread. They mispronounced the word pita. But you go to the Middle East, where they're making a flatbread with toppings, and in Italy is where they start to call it pizza, and they add the tomatoes and the cheese, and there's a whole story behind that. And then the Italians bring it over here in the 1800s, and the rest is history. But my job was to teach people the history and evolution behind it and to open their hearts up to love pizza more. So it's, I feel like I was giving pizza a purpose in their lives. And I loved teaching and I still love to teach people what makes pizza so good and to understand that the reason we don't use the word best is because we are from so many different places in this world that pizza is something different to everybody. But it's finding that commonality and understanding what makes good pizza that teaches you to appreciate it even more. So what made you want to start making your own pizza? Oh, so Scott had always encouraged me to make pizza. And I was like, eh, this is too difficult. I don't understand dough recipes. I'm not good at math. So we had dabbled in a little bit. I went to the New York City Pizza School twice, which is this fun, like, three-hour crash course in the Lower East Side where you make dough, you bake pizza, you drink wine. You eat pizza, you take photos and say, I've done it. Look at this. Kind of like that sticker that said, this car climbed Mount Washington. Their sticker should have said, I baked pizza in New York City and ate it. Which sounds really fun, actually. <laughs> right? It is. I highly recommend that as an activity. They still do those classes. But it actually, I didn't start dabbling in baking pizza until I was dating somebody. And I, I was like, oh, let me bake a little bit of pizza. And she volunteered me to bake pizza for her boss in Connecticut and this wood fired oven. I was like, oh my God, I'm not used to this oven. I don't know how to make dough. And I got a recipe. I baked and I did pretty well. But then I came back to, and again, we were in Connecticut, came back to New York City. I started baking more out of my apartment. And then she and I broke up. And in order to combat the depression and the loneliness, I started doing pop-ups out of my apartment where friends would come over every Sunday and I would just experiment on them. And I started to get really good at it. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I want to pursue pizza a little bit more than design. I feel like I could make a living somehow doing this. Like, I was just so happy. So I, on January 1st, 2020, I made an image board and it had two sides. I had a design side and a pizza side. I'm like, I'm going to bring them together somehow. And I decided to contact my favorite pizzerias and ask for a job. I'm like, I got to learn how to bake real pizza. Because like, you know, baking in the apartment or baking steel is one thing, but 
a real love and it's a whole other experience. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people turned me down. But the first person to say yes and only person to say yes was Polly G. So I went in there and the first night I baked a pizza. It was love at first bake. And he wound up offering me a job there. And so I was still doing pizza tours. But at this point, I was running the corporate events for Scott. So I was making a very good living. Doing a little bit of design, but I really scaled back. And it was it just I fell in love with it. And then the pandemic hit. Apologies shuts down. I actually did my last tour for pizza tours was the day Broadway went dark. And and I just it was just such a weird day. Like people were still people were scared to be out at that point. And I was scared to be doing a tour. And I'm like, I've got people from all around the world on this tour. Like, God knows what I'm gonna get. And I do think that people in our building had COVID before it was official. We had my one of my neighbors on my floor died. She was 36 and she had lupus, but she had this horrible respiratory infection. But anyhow, I was stuck in my apartment. Like New Yorkers, we were isolated. We were told not to leave. And everyone in New York decided to make a sourdough starter. And I'm like, I'm going to make pizza. Everyone in London did the same. Who was the... Because there was somebody in... There's somebody in London who did the pizza kits. Pizza Pilgrims. They did the pizza Uh, kits. They kicked off the idea for everybody, for pizzerias to offer a pizza kit. And it really was a saving grace for local pizzerias. Because they could give people the dough, the sauce, and the cheese in a box to pick up and take and make it home. So Pizza Pilgrims, that's really, a, in my book, I highly respect them. Their one thing that they did was huge for people. But what happened was I was baking pizza in the apartment and everyone was stuck. And I'm like, I'm baking too much pizza. And my mom's like, well, why don't you give it to your neighbors? Because like you guys are all stuck. People can't afford a meal. So I put the menu up downstairs and said, hey. Order whatever you want. I'm baking pizza to keep myself company or just to stay busy and distracted from the fact that everyone's dying around us. And I put up a box that said, knock on my door, pick out a pizza. If you can donate, great. If not, enjoy it. Just be happy because this makes me happy to make the pizza. And it turned into something where I was doing four pies a night and eventually it becomes 20 pies a night. But somebody outside of the building ordered pizza and then posted on Instagram. And then before long, There was like a three-month wait for my Sicilian pizza, and it was a one-month wait for the Neapolitan pizza. I got my hands on a Breville pizzaiola oven, and that was that. Like, it it all just took off. But the whole thing with this pizza, and this is like my pizza pilgrim moment, is that the rule with the pizza was if you did not have a job, if you were a first responder, or if you're just feeling sad, the pizza was 100% free. And then people began paying it forward. So I kind of kicked off this movement where people were baking pizza or giving out food for free to help others out. I started live streaming so people had something to watch at night or it was like live at five. They had something to watch on Instagram to keep them company to look forward to. So it was just like just helped with the morale. And then at seven o'clock, you'd hear everyone open their windows and cheer and clap for all the push responders. Like it was a time when New Yorkers really came together. But like, I could only leave the house once a week to get ingredients at one point. So I would go to pizzerias and collect five boxes at a time. I went up to the grocery store and I traded pizza in order to get more than five blocks of cheese. My landlord gave me an empty apartment to stage everything in and prep everything in. And then my tiny little, I don't know, it's like 300 square foot apartment is where I wound up baking over 5,000 pizzas. And there's so much more to the story, which you're going to add. So I'm not going to tell it all yet. I just think that's incredible, though, that I can envision the 300 square foot Brooklyn apartment and the idea of 5,000 pizzas coming out of it is just insanity. 
there's a line on the street and people were like, and then the best is I decided to put two folding chairs and a TV stand in front of my building. And it was my unofficial open table reservation that people could reserve for the night. And so, the, and I even had the proper, like the pizza would be trayed and served and people would walk by and be like, where's this pizza from? And they'd like the girl in the apartment up there, wow, that looks so good. And they're like, when Munchies and Vice came to do my, when they came to film my documentary, they were like, we can't find the reservation for your table and open table. And I was like, it's not real. It's through me. You got to DM me. I love it. We can't find it on open table. So yes, you've had a documentary. You, there's so many things, but you mentioned your mom and how she was encouraging you to continue to bake pizzas. Yeah. In the midst of all this COVID madness that we were kind of all experiencing in different ways around the world, both your parents got COVID. Yeah. Where do you start? My mom had to go in for a very small procedure and there was a complication of that procedure, which then led to her asking to go have major surgery. And this was at Cleveland Clinic. And this was early 2020, like the summer. And it was when we knew nothing about this. We, I think we, we all wore masks, but so this was in July of 2020. She went in and at that time, the patients weren't required to wear masks. They, in New York, there were no visitors allowed in the hospital, but in Ohio, they allowed visitors and they wore masks. And my mom was like, I'm in a room with another patient. Her Cleveland Clinic did not read my mom's chart and did not see that she had two autoimmune diseases. So she should have been in an isolated room and instead they put her in a room with another patient and visitors. When she got home, she got COVID, gave it to my dad. And again, to get a COVID test at that point, you had to have a doctor submit paperwork for you to get on a list, to get an appointment time where they drive up to these drive-through COVID testing centers that you had to make an appointment days in advance. I remember talking, and this was 10 days after my mom got out, and I didn't realize that she'd been sick. And I just remember talking to my mom on the phone. I'm like, she sounded like my neighbor who had passed away. And I'm like, you sound exactly like this neighbor of mine who passed away. And I'm like, you have COVID. Like, I can cure it. And then my dad was like, I can't take peanut butter. Like, you've got COVID too. And literally the next day, my, and I remember this distinctly because I was doing, I was also working at Poly G's. I was too scared to take the subway and to be in a restaurant with people. So I did the prep work. So I would run five and a half miles to Poly G's and I'd run five and a half miles home. So this was what I was doing a couple of days a week. I was doing these 11 mile runs in hundred degree heat. But I remember I was getting ready to leave for work and I got the call about my mom and my sister's like, they took, mom woke up in the middle of the night, was completely delirious, had no clue she got. And they had to take her to the hospital. We knew at that point, if you went to the hospital, you likely were not coming back, especially my parents being in the 60s. So it terrified us. My mom even said to my dad, I am going to the hospital to die. Like she knew. So she goes to the hospital and they put her on a vent. Like her, ox- her oxygen levels were so low. She went on a vent and they put her into a coma and she was there for five weeks. So I would... I would FaceTime with her or I would call me and the nurses just put the phone up to you. My dad was not even allowed to visit her in the hospital. And also we had to manage my dad at the same time because he also had COVID. So here we are, like my mom's in the hospital and we're managing my dad's health too. And it was just so scary. But part of the reason I started doing these, keeping these live at fives going is I was keeping my dad entertained before every live at five. I do 4.30 with him and make pizza for him to keep him entertained. 
And at this point, I'd already been written up in the New York Times. So my mom knew my success was starting. But she was the one who always inspired me to do good and to help others out. So after five weeks, we, she wasn't going to come out of the coma. She wasn't going to be able, her quality of life was going to be feeding tube. And we didn't know at that time, because like we know how long, co- long COVID affects people now, but she was one of those people just couldn't pull out and we had to say goodbye. And I said goodbye to her while I was at Polyjeez. And the irony is like, when my mom turned 70, we gave her a dream trip, which was a trip to New York City with her girls, me and my sister. And the first place she wanted to go was Polly G's. And my mom always looked at Polly as like this celebrity. Like she would send messages or she'd comment on Barbara Streisand stuff on Facebook. And she also commented on Polly G's. And Polly would always message her back and Barbara never did. So my mom held Polly at this level of like the most famous person you talked to on Instagram or on Facebook. <laughs> so it was the first place we brought her to. And it's just ironic. Like that's where I got my job, which started pizza. and. That's where I would talk to my mom while she was in a coma. That's where I said goodbye to my mom. And it was tough. And the day that we let her go, I had a bake that night out of my apartment. And I baked pizza for 20 people. And none of them knew. If you watch that live at five, you can see me puffy in the face. But my mom would have told me, those people are relying on that meal tonight. Please do it in my honor. So... Um, I baked pizza for all the people that night and, but it was tough. We had to let my mom go. And the only way we got to say goodbye was through FaceTime and seeing her in a coma and then even getting to her funeral, like, cause we're Jewish. So we had to like drive back in a certain period of time and we didn't know how to get back to Ohio safely. And we wound up staying in a hotel cause we couldn't go anywhere near my dad because my dad also had COVID. And at that point, there was like, you had to wait weeks to be around anybody and you test positive for weeks. And so we couldn't go in the house. We didn't get to say goodbye to my mom. We just got to go to the funeral and then social distance, not hug anyone. But it was tough. It's just, it's heartbreaking. But I will say, if you look at my logo and everything, it always has four mom. The four mom started the day that she got checked into the hospital. And I remember I picked up ingredients from another famous pizzeria because he's like, well, I'm shutting the restaurant down. Come get all this stuff. And I made cheap pizza and I just gave away 30 pies for free that night. I just filled up a box and just gave them out on the sidewalk. And inside the box, I wrote for mom. And I continued to do that. And my mom, pizza is like the, the everyone's favorite meal in my family. But my mom used to peel all the cheese off and leave the crust. So part of my mission with my pizza was I wanted to make a crust that nobody would ever waste. And I would later embark on taking apprenticeships all around the country and learn from the very best and the smartest and well-versed in pizza to bring back to New York what is some of, and I use the B word in this sense, some of the best crust in pizza. And to be written up in the New York Times, I'm like, you're just a girl out of an apartment making incredible pizza. But it's all for my mom and she never got to try my pizza. But when my dad tried it for the first time, he just brought him to tears. And yeah, so I, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of notoriety, a lot of fame that's come with it. And I handle it very differently than the average person. I get more excited about the Goodyear blimp than I do about being on chopped. <laughs> I do think, though, I'm hearing you talk about your mom and I know from things I've read about you and this whole journey that she was always such an inspiration for you. But it does seem like so much of the giving aspect of it is something that she encouraged you to do and yeah. now still is always the thing that keeps you going. 
She always told me to do good by others. And her favorite expression is, where there's a will, there's a way. But <laughs> I, should, I should get a tattoo of that, I swear. I used to find room in my body somewhere. But uh, my mom was the kind of person that always put everyone else first. And I wish that she'd learned to put herself first more often. But she also was a do-gooder mm-hmm. through and throughout. Like I, an example I always give people is like Rosh Hashanah. She'd fill a trunk of the car with honey. And drive around and give everyone something sweet or honey to make sure that they had their Rosh Hashanah or Jewish New Year started off sweet. And she just always gave to others. And she's the one who told me, like, give back to others. Help people out if you can. And I also remember her saying to me, like, you never know what kind of a day somebody's having. Somebody having the worst day of their life and one small act of kindness, something as small as just saying hello. So for me, it became the act of kindness of giving somebody a pizza. And I had people where they would lose their jobs or their apartments and I'd give them a stack of people like, here's dinner for the next week. You need this little leg up, this little boost of kindness to help you get to a better emotional place. And I just saw how pizza made people happy. And going back to my pizza tour days, we'd have people from every corner of the world. We all would come together for three hours and we could relate and talk about pizza because guess what? Every language, pizza is pronounced the same way. It's pizza. So I found that it was this unifying thing. It was this thing that brought people together and it inspired other people to do good as well. I know that my mom is smiling down, just knowing how many people I've been able to not just inspire, but also touch and give them that gift of kindness that my mom used to do for everyone else when she was here. I've seen a lot of signs that say, you, you can't make everyone happy. You're not a pizza. but like. You are a pizza. <laughs> you want a pizza me? You want a you pizza, want a pizza me? me? Yeah. And a lot of people think I'm Italian, which is the funniest thing. I'm like, I'm a, I'm just this Jewish girl from Ohio. And actually, Scott Wiener, Scott's Pizza Tour, is also one of the most influential and highly regarded people in pizza. He's also he's a Jewish guy from New Jersey. Two matzo balls in New York City, making all the pizza. It's like you say, pizza is universal, I think, at this point. I don't think anyone can own it because I was talking to you before we started. I'm going to give a shout out to my brother, but he is so into the Brooklyn pizza thing and spent years, similarly to you, trying to master the perfect pizza and now has his own pizza restaurant, Trophy Pizza. Shout out if you're in Cincinnati. (laughs) I can't wait to go there because Cincinnati also is home to one of my other favorite pizzerias, Adriaticos. Which yeah, I'm wearing the shirt. Just it's just a, it's a pure coincidence that I put on a Cincinnati pizza shirt. Like I just picked this one. I said this is the shirt I want to wear today. And then I was like, wait a second, I got a podcast recording with you, and we're both from Ohio. And you're since there, yeah. But um, and I have it had Adriaticos, which I think is very good pizza. I don't think it's Brooklyn pizza. Oh no! And the thing is, I love that they pride themselves on being New York style. What I will say is, New York style is their Sicilian. I will give them that, but we still don't do our Sicilian like that here, but whatever. So to this day, my sister and I drove through a tornado a couple years ago to eat pizza at Adriatico's in Columbus. And then I bring it home. True story. Let me just tell you this one story about Adriatico's. So I flew back to Ohio and Columbus is called a Buckeye and Cincinnati is called a Bearcat. But it is a pizza that is so large, you have to turn sideways to get through the door. I think it's like (laughs) 30 squares of Sicilian pizza. All right. So I order, I, I think I was, I think it was, my parents lived in Dayton still. So I was in, I ordered a bear cat and I packed all this pizza up and put it in this huge diesel purse and carried it on an airplane. And when you're flying from Dayton to New York, you're on one of those little, not a pedal jumper, but it's like 
there's two seats on each side and you got the rotator propeller. So the propellers that rotate. But I remember like somebody in the plane is like, it smells like pizza. And I was like, oh, that's me. I got pizza in my purse under the seat. And then someone else is like, who takes pizza from Ohio to New York? And I said, I do. This is my favorite pizza. To this day, to this day, I, and I used to ship it par-baked to New York on dry ice FedEx. Oh my gosh, that is love of pizza. That is love. You can take the girl out of Ohio, but you could never take the Ohio out of the girl. So there we go. That's the Ohio meal. Forever love that pizza. <laughs> That's like me and Skyline Chili, but it's very debatable. We won't go there. <laughs> oh, I'm a Skyline girl. I put it on okay. pizza. What do you mean? I do a Skyline pie. Woo! Pie. Okay, that I need to try. <laughs> My brother, actually my brother, despite saying he's opened this pizzeria, his Instagram handle is Skyline Fourway. That is amazing. That's some love. Someday I will explain to everybody on the podcast about what Skyline is. Today is not that day. Not today. <laughs> chopped. You mentioned chopped. People get excited about that. First of all, we have people listening in many countries. So explain what chopped even is. So chopped is basically a cousin of Top Chef. It's one of these food shows on the Food Network. Actually, I think Top Chef is Bravo, and this one's the Food Network. But what they do is they give you a basket of mystery ingredients, and they give you a, they give you 20 minutes to make something with it. I was on an episode that was specific to pizza. And it's interesting because they asked us what we hated. And I'm pretty sure that everybody got something they hated in the baskets. I was the ancho- person that hated anchovies, so they gave us anchovies, carrots, frozen mozzarella sticks, and a charcuterie cup. And I don't know if I said that word right, but whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I had to make a pizza with this. One pizza with all those things? Yeah, yeah. And you have 20 minutes to do it. Each of us had our own specific style, but we're all so specific that we're like, we wanted to make our own dough, but somebody made the dough for us. And you just, you can't control things with dough. So for me, I had a piece of dough that was too small and it was dead. So it meant it didn't rise. And you just made the most of it. It was, it's like, you just have to invent something and you have the entire world of ingredients at your disposal. And it's a lot of pressure to be like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I'm not a classically trained chef, but I had about a month to get ready for it. So very select few people would bring me mystery baskets of things to make pizza in my apartment. And I would time myself. And I had this friend, God bless her. And she loved the pizza. And she still told everyone about it. I said, bring me four things from Whole Foods. Do you want to know what this girl brought me? Jenny brings me coffee, like the coffee beans, salsa, a lemon, and bacon. And I'm like, who are you? Why would and I made her a really I made her a really good Sicilian pizza out of that. I took I was like, all right, whatever I got in my fridge, I get to use. So I wound up doing like a chorizo cream corn. I took the coffee grinds and I ground them and I used that as a bitter flavor component. I did something with the bacon. Like I made this phenomenal pizza out of that. And she still tells everyone about the chop challenge that she got to eat. But yeah, so I was on the show called Chopped. And whether you win it or you're just on it, it's a huge, you're winning just to get on it. I didn't even know this until after I filmed because I couldn't tell my dad. My dad would call him loose lips because he, he tells every secret. So you can't tell my dad anything. And you sign these contracts. So the only person who knew I was going on Chopped are the people who helped me get ready for it and my sister. So we kept the secret from my dad. And my dad was like, that was your mother's favorite show to like next to Judge Judy Chopped, which she loved to watch. So I'm like, what a good omen that I'm going on my, one of my mom's favorite TV shows. But yeah, I also went on Kelly Clarkson's show twice. I made her cry twice. Yes. I actually put that on a dating profile. It's a really good talking point to be like, <laughs> I made Kelly Clarkson cry twice. 
They I flew was, me and my dough to California to be on our show. And you know what the first thing I got when I got to LA was? In and out Burger. Oh, I thought you were going to say pizza. Every once in a while, you don't eat pizza. <laughs> Truth be told, I try to only eat it once a week because of my ultra running. I try to keep that slim figure. Yeah. And I'm also in my 40s. I got to watch my cholesterol. This is true. This is true. Yeah. A slice a day. Keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Keeps the doctor probably in business, but makes everybody happy. <laughs> so you did a big crowdfunder as well because you want to not just always bake pizza in your apartment. So I had a Kickstarter that launched in 2021. And I actually raised about $100,000 because I, in New York City, there at the time, there were over 2,500 pizzerias. And of those, there were only, I think at that time, eight that were owned and operated by women. And now there's even fewer. So it's a very heavily, it's a very male-dominated market. But I wanted to really break that glass ceiling. And I still haven't opened in New York City. But what I did is I drew a lot of attention to the fact that we were lacking female owners and operators. So we've had more join the circuit since, which is wonderful. But, and I also had done one of the largest Kickstarters for a restaurant to raise that amount of money. But yeah, and I hired a filmmaker to do that video. I invested in it. Because again, the design, the designer in me, I know how important my marketing materials are. So that was actually produced by the husband of Pilar Valdez, who is the personal chef and TV chef for Drew Barrymore. And I had no idea that I was serving Drew Barrymore's chef pizza during the pandemic. This is why I love New York. Everybody has to watch that, though, because it's so good. It's a really good short. I've watched it, but where can people watch it? Because I watched when it came out. It's on my Instagram account. If you go through the videos, you'll see it. There's a couple bits that go into it. And you can still find my Kickstarter page. It's still All of that stuff is still up there. But yeah, but yeah, I launched a very successful Kickstarter campaign. One of the things that people don't know about Kickstarter is you actually lose about 27% of your funds to taxes and fees. So my original goal was half a million because to open a pizzeria in New York City, it's at least half a million to open. Now, if I go to Cincinnati, Ohio, half a million will get me a couple pizzerias. But New York City is a very difficult place. For a thousand square feet, it's about $13,000 for rent where I live. That uh, per month, that's a lot of money. That's more expensive than Dubai. You just keep reading about all these places that are one-offs, new places, or places that have been around 100 years that can no longer afford their rent because New York City has gotten so expensive. You have to be a chain. Yeah, Lombardi's which is one of the one of the oldest and one of the first. It's not the official first pizzeria in New York City, but it is one of the first. They were in Soho and their rent was raised and they lost half their space, which had the oven. And it was recently demolished and they had to put an electric oven in, in the basement and that's, and they're still operating. It's just crazy that like they raised the rent so high. And then you'll put Tutonos had to shut down for a while. And what's been the saving grace for them is Gold Valley. Gold Belly was a huge saving grace for many of these pizzerias in New York City because what it did is enabled them to provide these par-baked pizzas that are frozen and shipped nationwide. It was a huge saving grace. So when you talk about pivotal moments during the pandemic that kept places alive, Gold Belly was one of them, especially for pizza. So what's next in the world of pizza? Are you divulging that information? <laughs> Where I'm at right now is that I spent time looking for space in New York City. And recently, my sister decided she took a job out in Portland, Oregon. And she's like, you want to come with me? And I was like, let me see what it's like out there. But my focus has been, I've been doing pop-ups. And it's, it's the pop-up culture is very difficult. I'm a one-woman show. Minus having an expediter whose name is Mona help me at the events. 
I do all my prep, I bake, I clean, I break down everything. And it's a lot for if you're just doing it one to two times a week, they're 12 hour days. I am at a point now where I'm ready to open my own brick and mortar. So the Kickstarter money that's been in, in an account, I've just been saving it. I'm going to go explore my options out West, see what there is, but I'm not closing the chapter to New York City quite yet. I'm still looking here, but my next step is doing more private chef work, more TV stuff, but I'm focused on getting my brick and mortar open so that I can have a home where people can have a slice of happiness. And I have to say, if it ends up being out of New York, granted, I'm sure you have obviously already competed in this world of 2,500 pizzerias, but seeing my brother's success so far in Cincinnati, like really good New York pizza outside of New York is so exciting to get. (laughs) And I want, so I'm going to do what you call Neapolitan-ish. It's funny. Like I did an interview with the New York Times where I was explaining this. So I go, a lot of people in the industry, and I say more of the men that I talk to are like, get open in New York City. You got to do the electric oven. You got to hit X amount of pies a day. You've got to have liquor. You got to have delivery. And I'm like, okay, let me talk about what I want to do. Would you tell Picasso to go create a painting on the computer and put it into the museum? No. So for me, I look at it. Are you going to tell me to go bake my pizza in an electric oven when I create my art with fire? No, you're going to tell me to do where my heart is. So for me, my heart is doing wood fire pizza. I don't need to move hundreds of pies a night. In my opinion, I want to offer a small amount of pizza, really great aperitivo, fun menu items, great cocktails, and create a home, bring really good pizza to an area that might not have the greatest pizza, and just continue to share that love and give people a reason to come visit me. So in due time, get successful, come back to New York, and be able to open my second location. But I don't plan to ever to franchise. I don't plan to be a chain. None of that. I just want to be baking pizza till I'm 120. What I'm doing this summer is I'm going up to Chicago to work at a pizzeria called Spock and Apley. And I'm going to work with their team and get school. Those guys do 600 pie nights. They created a job for me to be a part of their team. And I'm looking forward to it because there are no women on that pizza team. I love that you are going to the best because you are and want to be the best. There's something so cool about I'm going to find these jobs and these people to take me on so I can continue to learn. When I had my event on Saturday, this guy is, is it okay if I watch you? And I go, yeah, why don't you pull your phone out and film it? He goes, really? He's like, it's not stealing. I go, no, it's art. If I can help you make better pizza, I'm doing a good job at what I do. And I'm like, you have any question, DM me. My dough recipe isn't a secret. It's the person making the pizza and the quality of ingredients that make that good pizza. So like with my pizza, part of the magic is how it got started. And the reason it's is as good as it is has to do with where my love for the pizza comes from. And I put that in the pizza. I make my own dough and I want to be connected with it in every step. But that is what that person is experiencing to make the pizza. And it's such a compliment for people to be like, oh my God, your crust is so good. And I catered a wedding once where everyone got a goodie pie to take home. Some people like to give a custom chocolate bar. I give everyone a pizza to take home with reheat instructions, okay? <laughs> and the one of the servers like brings the box to me and says, look at this woman just asked. And they opens it and there's all the crust on top of the goodie pie. And I'm like, are you serious? She's like, she loved her crust so much, she's taking home her bones. Bones, you eat ribs, you put the bones behind. That's what people yeah. do with pizza. But the crust was so good. And that was my whole goal, was creating a dough. So I studied with people who taught me all about flour and process and love. And I now brought that to my pizza. And I just, 
for me, I share whatever I can with other people because it, it's all about creating good pizza. And until you've had really good pizza, you don't know what it is. But when you do know what good pizza is, it completely knocks you off your path and puts you on a whole other journey to exploring and appreciating what I call art. So every pizza maker is like all the page at MoMA. We're all completely different. And you should appreciate the fact that the pizzas are all different. And you shouldn't compare and say, this is the best. But you should say, these are the things that are my favorite about these different pizzas. And that's why I say Adriatico is one of my favorites in Ohio. So is Marion's Pizza. But we're comparing New York style Sicilian to tavern style, mm. which are totally different. The only thing that they have in common is cheese, sauce, and crust. And wow, the things you can do with cheese, sauce, and crust. So obviously, you did share some of your mom's favorite quotes. And I always ask people for a quote. But would you say one of those is your mom's? Or do you have another quote for me today? I'm going to pull it down right now. It's on my door. I see it when I walk out every day. Not a pizza person, but it is a runner. So if you don't know who Gabe Grunwald was, she was this phenomenal runner who passed away from cancer. And this quote has always stuck with me. It's okay to struggle. It's not okay to give up. And that's my quote, because this reminds me on the days I feel like quitting. And I'm like, I cannot do this. My back is breaking. There's something wrong with dough. I remember to not ever give up on my dreams. So while I might see other people who are able to get a place open in New York City because their style is different or their money, their funding situation, I'm like, it's okay. Because again, I think about this quote and I think about Jonathan Goldsmith at Spock who told me the most important part of your process is patience. When the time is right, it's going to happen. Be patient. Well, I know you've created happiness for a lot of people, a lot of places. I know I'm probably not the first person to say it, but I'll say it anyway, that your mom is really proud. Like you said, she's looking down, smiling at all the happiness yeah. that you're bringing to people through one of her favorite things. Pizza. Yeah. If you look at my logo, you'll see there's a frog. And the reason why there's a frog in my logo, there's always a frog around me when I'm baking. And you can see on my logo, here's a frog on my head. Mm. Mom's name was Hyla. And Hyla is the largest genius or family of frogs. She used to hide frogs in everything of mine when I would visit her. So I always have a frog present because that is my mom, in addition to the poor mom, in my logo. I'm so glad that she inspired you. And you've definitely inspired me today. Life is short. Each day is a gift. It is. You're absolutely right. Thank you for joining me. It was so great to catch up with you and talk Ohio and pizza and design and running. Good luck with everything. Please keep me posted. And obviously, we'll put all the links so people can watch the documentary. Yep. They can see all the pizza things you're doing. All right. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure sharing my story with you. And I hope that even if this changes the day for one person, then that is success in my book. And I think that person is the person I'm talking to you right now. So we've already done it. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a slice day. <laughs> have a slice day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at the secondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.